Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. This is verse 8. The women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. I want to talk about fear and joy. Fear and joy. Because I'd like to speak more deeply about the emotion of resurrection. And I think fear and joy are very fine emotions relating to the greatest miracle that's ever occurred in the history of the world. But I think they're conflicting in some ways, right? Fear and joy, they don't often go together. But I actually can relate to an odd hybrid or, or living with both of them in tension. In my own experience, I was thinking in my own very limited experience, have I ever known a moment of both fear and joy at the same time? Several, but the most acute have to do with the first time that I held my newborn children? Fear (laughs) and joy, right? Overwhelmingly so. Um, First, when I held Cora, Ella, and Avelina for the first time, I was absolutely terrified. Of what? Well, that I would like drop them. Well, they're very wiggly. Uh, that I would like put them to bed the wrong way because evidently if you put a baby on the baby's stomach now to go to bed, like that's the worst thing you could ever do and I thought I'd forget and do that. Or that frankly that I would simply grow to be a bad father. I mean that very seriously. That I would simply be a bad father, that I would be harsh out of my own frustration or that I would neglect them because I got too preoccupied with work. Or that you know I would um, pass on to them all of my own dark material. And so I was very afraid, actually. But I was also filled with joy because there they were, these beautiful, I mean, they, they weren't like me. I, you know, they were beautiful, right? <laughs> uh, and, and they were rich in potential from day one, and I knew that they would have an impact and that they would do something just wonderful in the world for God and become their true selves in God. And that one day when I got old, they would have saved up money to buy me a house in Boca. (laughs) I'm I'm very excited about my retirement. Fear and joy. And the women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and joy. But, you know, there's a lot of fear language in this text, a lot of fear language. Phobu in Greek, that's where we get the word phobia, like agoraphobia, arachnophobia, and so forth. Lots of fear. The soldiers had fear. This is verse 4. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The angel talked about fear. The angel, in verse 5, said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. By the way, angels always have very bad bedside manner. They're never emotionally persuasive. How you know that you'll be terrified for the rest of your life is if an angel visits you and says, it's okay. It's not. And then the women, of course, in verse 8, that they departed the tomb with fear and great joy. Why all the fear? It's a good day. It's not like Good Friday. Today is much better than Good Friday uh, in, in a real sense. Why would they all be afraid? I think they're rightfully afraid. I do. Even if the angel says, 
You shouldn't be. I, I think the human impulse to be afraid at an event like the resurrection makes a lot of sense because the resurrection offers a terrifying degree of goodness, completely destabilizing, because the angel is announcing something that had never happened before in the history of the world, namely a resurrection. You may say, didn't Lazarus rise from the dead? Other biblical figures rose from the dead? Yes, they did temporarily before they died again several years later, right? Because some of them got Parkinson's and some of them got cancer, but they all were placed back into the tombs from which they were raised. But Jesus' resurrection is a very new kind of miracle because Jesus now has a risen body that cannot get old, cannot re-die, cannot expire. He is forever invincible and unconquerable. Unlike every nation that's ever existed, every potentate, every emperor, every pretender to a throne, uh, all the politicians we love, all the politicians we loathe, he is invincible and undying. And therefore, Jesus is the one um, who is completely unique in the history of the world. Uh, What's odd about that, especially his uniqueness in resurrection, is he also experienced the most hatred that any man ever received, at least by his own country. They, They voted no. They voted no. Good Friday was the no printed out in blood over the life of Jesus. No from the establishment, no from the empire, no from the mob, no from everybody. He was considered a heretic, an apostate, a corrupter, that he was one of the most dangerous men who's ever existed, and and for the well-being of humanity, he needed to be annihilated. The resurrection, though, means that all of those people who said no, by the way, including us, All of us were dead wrong. He was the only man standing because he was the only man who was right. He understood his mission, fulfilled it, and God vindicated him publicly by raising him from the dead. So the resurrection, friends, is fearful because it turns the world on its head. It proves that Jesus is not just a prophet or a teacher or a blasphemer, certainly. It proves, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he is both Lord and God, and that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and not just Lord, but risen Lord. The resurrection is terrifying because it makes us second-guess everything. The world is beginning again at the moment of resurrection. Zeffirelli's film, Jesus of Nazareth, which is played at every, every Easter, it's, a, it's like 25 hours long, but there are several memorable scenes in it. My favorite is when two Pharisees, who are very antithetical to Jesus, hear about his resurrection. They panic-stricken, run to the tomb. They don't enter it because it would be unclean. They just look within it. They grab the stone around it and look within in it in aghast horror. And one says to the other, I thought we were all done with this. And the other looks at him and says, terrifyingly, oh no, it all begins now. Now it all begins. The Pharisee is more right than he knows. The resurrection of Jesus means that he is stronger than all the forces that allied against him, stronger than Pilate, stronger than Putin, stronger than the stupid stone that rolled against his tomb that the angel mockingly just sat down on, more consequential than the tides, more everlasting than me or you. So they fear. They fear. But note, when Jesus rose again, some people were so afraid that they passed out like corpses in a graveyard while others 
came alive and ran to tell people. What made the difference? The soldiers were tasked in keeping Jesus locked away forever, and so they were immobilized by fear because their world can't handle a now risen, reigning Lord. But those who loved him, those who knew him, those whose eyes were tear-soaked for him, those who wanted him back, well, they came alive, and they ran to tell. You see, the women were still afraid after the resurrection moment, but their fear also had a companion emotion. We as Christians, we're not like aliens, and we haven't had a lobotomy. We haven't, you know, been completely altered in every way. We're still profoundly and vexingly human. But what God does with our human emotions, he, give us, he gives us companion emotions. So where we still might be anxious or afraid, we also have a corresponding joy, and they did too. They carried their fear, but they carried also joy. But not just joy, great joy. The joy exceeds, in this scene, the fear. This is verse 8 again. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Why joy? Well, because they thought the whole world had died. They banked their whole lives, their whole existence, on the fact that Jesus was going to cure the cosmos and now he's a corpse. Perhaps they second-guessed their prior experiences. Did we exaggerate him? Did we become a little hysterical? Did we have a gilded vision and we made up this stuff in our own minds? You know what it is, right? Especially after a bad breakup where you really were in love with somebody and then they devastated you, you look back on it suspiciously. Was I duped this whole time? Did I make this up in my brain? Well, maybe that's what they were thinking too. Well, they did not go to Jesus' tomb expecting a resurrection. They went to mummify a corpse in the Jewish tradition, right? They went to see a bludgeoned body and to make it look better. Right. And I have to underscore this point because we think with our, in our modern age that first century thinkers were magical thinkers, that they expected miracles every day. N no, they were just like you. They didn't go to funeral parlors expecting a corpse to rise. They went to a funeral parlor to cry, just like you do. Most of us expect that finality is in fact final. Most of us go through life expecting that banality and cruelty and injustice and decay and death are in fact the basement of being. There is nothing lower than that. Everything else is aberration. One of my favorite shows, as many of you know, is The Office, um, in which the boss character of the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company is Michael Scott, uh, played by Steve Carell. Well, he uh, requires his, his employees at one point to enter a 5K in order to raise money for the victims of rabies because he warns his employees four people every year die of this disease. Well, halfway through the race, after he has eaten an enormous amount of fettuccine Alfredo, uh, Michael becomes exhausted, gives up, and pathetically sits down, defeated on the side of the road. Well, two employees walk by, they see him, and they notice that something is wrong, and so they ask him about it, and Michael angrily responds with these words. There are people all over the world with all sorts of problems and afflictions. They're deformed, and they're abnormal, and they're illiterate, and they're ugly. Symphonies don't have any money. Public TV is bust, and I can't do anything about it. I can't. There's just one of me, and there's a thousand of them. So I quit and rabies wins. <laughs> I think it's hysterically funny, but 
there are serious tones to it. Because after all, what is life at its core? And we all have to come to an answer regarding that question. What is it? Is it only decay and death? Like, really? Is that what we're dealing with? The world is just awash in Nietzschean nihilism? Is that our stance? Because it's easy, and by the way, sometimes self-satisfying, to allow cynicism and nihilism to completely conquer us. You know, organized religion is nothing but corrupt. Teenagers are impossible. Luggage always gets lost, don't I know? Gluten allergies are on the rise. Amazon will soon own everything. Elon Musk will be our emperor. Social security is withering away. The polar ice caps are melting. Rihanna has a career and rabies wins. And yet, and yet within the saddest of locations, a graveyard, these weeping women experience an odd emotion, joy. Joy. Why? Because at Jesus' resurrection, all nihilism, brutality, injustice, and death are rendered impotent. The deep magic of life is, believe it or not, that triumphant goodness, rampant forgiveness, and vibrant life are as real as Jesus' own living skin. These things are your inevitable destiny. So when you hear today about the magnitude of Jesus' resurrection, I hope you think about it. I hope you feel it. I hope you experience a little fear and a little joy. But Whatever your emotions regarding the reality of Jesus' resurrection, the validity of this day does not rest upon our emotions or lack thereof. The validity of this day rests upon reality, that is, the realness of a risen Christ. Or to put it another way, something happened. Something real happened. A historical, material, and eternal Jesus visibly appeared to ladies in a graveyard, and they grabbed onto his real ankles because they could barely believe that they were seeing him with their own retinas. And he said, hi to them in the Aramaic language. That's what it means, hi. Later, this same risen Christ appeared to over 500 people, many of whom chose martyrdom rather than silence because they truly saw something, heard something, and felt something, and they would not deny it, even at the sword. The resurrection happened. It's weird, but it's real, and it's in fact more than real. And someday, you yourself will hold on to the man who already, by his spirit, holds on to you, even in this moment. The man who called himself the resurrection and the life will get you through to the other side. So I can assure you, with joyful resurrection certainty, that for you, there is nothing to fear. Amen. They took your life, they could not.